Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you could have first heard this episode nine months ago if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St Clement's each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes, lots of other marvellous benefits, and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash ironfilings. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, this is it. This is Top Flight Time Machine, I am Andy Hot Dawson, pow, pow, pow. I'm Sam Nifty Delaney, so what? Uh, welcome along to the Cranky's Odyssey uh, Part 3, I think it is. We've been rebuked by the podcast Elders mm. after last week's episode because it began where we talked about not being interested in the bits of autobiographies where they talk about their childhood. Mm. And then that was the only kind of bit that we covered mm. in the episode itself. We got sidetracked quite severely, but then it was just about Jeanette's childhood um, and the, the elders. I'm not going to name names, but one specific member of the podcasting elders um, got in touch and was very, very uh, condemning of what we'd done. Well, so, so you complained about a thing and then you did it yourselves. Yeah. Basically, yeah. well, I can't imagine bad, who this elder was for you from. to have not given them the sharp, the short shrift. Um, when we're, we're not a member of the elders, we just got to respect what they say, right? You know, you, you seem a bit feisty there, a bit what <clears throat> feisty. I'm not, fe- I'm just surprised because you know, usually that kind of a feedback, that kind of feedback angers you, yeah, but. We're quite snarky about the podcast elders on here now and again. Mm. But when push comes to shove... If they didn't... And they do get in touch. They're very much the glue that holds us together. Yeah. It doesn't pay to get on the wrong side of the elders. No, it doesn't. So we're fast-forwarding a little bit. And I found a paragraph on page 18, which is quite interesting. Um, And it's about um, when Ian and Jeanette first meet. Jeanette says... I met Ian while playing Johnny Beatty's daughter, Jinty, during the panto. Mm-hmm. Ian was quite a smart and tidy wee boy. Oh, <laughs> a nice tidy boy for mummy, you might say. A nice tidy boy for mummy, yeah. That must be her type. And Ian was working on the, the crew in the theatre at the panto, and she says, he always smelled of nice aftershave, which was very unusual for the pavilion stage crew at the time, believe me. So that's how they first met and their first date. Um, He asked me out and we went to the pictures. Afterwards, we went for a Chinese meal. Ian had paid for the cinema, but I paid for the Chinese meal because I was on more money than him, earning £9 a week, while Ian was on £6 and 10 shillings a week. So there you go. First date, the Crankies, cinema and a Chinese meal. That's quite extravagant, I think. That is, yeah. It's more than I would expect because this was... Back mm. in the old days, that, that was an expensive date, but a good one. You can see how it paid off, because why it paid off. That's a decent date, yeah. that, isn't it? It is. So, um, and then we'll go f- uh, just before they got married, um, they were booked to go and do the American bases in Turkey. Uh, we got to Bulgaria and had trouble with the communists. <laughs> They always seemed to be in the middle of some crisis or other and didn't want to let anyone through their country. They would put ridiculous demands on you like, you're not coming through because your hair's too long. 
He actually had a barber at the border crossing to cut these poor sod's hair. <laughs> so that's interesting. Interesting insight into communist, um, the commun- the, the communist block. This would be the late 60s, I think. Uh, what else have we got? There's another bit just over the page. page 36 that we're at now. Oh, yeah, this is a good bit. Um, on the tour of Turkey with us was a Frenchman called Mr. Louis, who used a real-life chimpanzee for his act. Ian was joking at the border that the police were going to cut the chimp's hair as well. Uh, good joke. We were driving I've got Turkey a wee joke for you here. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> well, we haven't, we haven't really got time. It's just real. It's very quick. It's just a one-liner. It's more of an aside. Okay. Than a joke. Everybody listening? Okay. Do you think the border police are going to cut the chimp's hair as well? <laughs> okay. Right. Let's move on. Didn't go down as well as I hoped, but never mind. Sorry, you lad. Uh, we were driving through Turkey. It was boiling hot as usual. We had to stop at this lake just to cool down. We let the chimp out of the van and it ran up a tree and wouldn't come back down. <laughs> Even the ape didn't want to go back in the stinking hot van. <laughs> we got out of the water onto the beach. The sand was alive with scorpions. When we arrived at the newest nuclear military base where we were doing the show, we told them where we'd been swimming. The soldiers looked horrified and said, no one swims in there, it's deadly. Of course, travelling through Turkey, we all got the shits again. <laughs> Even the chimp had the trots. As part of the Frenchman's act, he used to dress this chimp up in a wee sailor suit. Mm. I'll say that in Scottish. As part of the Frenchman's act, this is Jeanette saying it. As part of the Frenchman's act, he used to dress this chimp up in a wee sailor suit. Oh. One of the jokes was that he would give the chimp a plastic potty and it would pretend to have a shit, then empty it over someone in the audience. Oh, no. <laughs> Ian, only this night the monkey really did have the trots like the rest oh, of us. No. So it really did... Poor shit over this big GI's head. (laughs) (laughs) The the GI's mates were pissing themselves laughing. The whole place was in fits, but this humiliated GI gets up out of his chair, covered in monkey shit, and thumped another soldier who was laughing at him. (laughs) Suddenly, all hell broke loose, and it ended up like a huge fist fight like the Westerns, all because this poor chimp had the shits. (laughs) Fucking hell. There's not much you can add to that, really, is there? No, really. It stands alone. A bracket of chimp shit on a GI's head resulting in a massive Barney while the crankies perform. (laughs) Yeah. It's quite an image, you know. There's a good bit about Paul Daniels coming up as well. Oh, there's a bit about Freddie Starr. I didn't realise was there. Contemporary. Um, Freddie Starr was always offering to take Jeanette to football matches. What the fuck's that about? Why football matches? bit weird. I used to be terrified of him, she says, because he drove his sports car to- so fast. He never tried anything on with me. I think he just liked me. Well, of course, Freddie Starr was later accused of um, certain things under the uh, Operation U tree. Oh, was he? <laughs> he was cleared. He was subsequently oh, cleared. Okay. No charges were brought. Very uh, important to say, yeah. Very important to mention that. But he used to enjoy taking... Uh, a small woman to football matches. That's <laughs> what you like to do. Take a small woman to and football matches. Yeah, why not? Yeah. He could lift her up and she could see. Yeah. See what was going on. You know, some small people like to be lifted up. Oh, I guess. Careful what you say. This could 
That could be offensive. Could it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, where's the Paul Daniels bit? Ah, oh, there's some good. There's a good bit about Sunderland. Um, they go to uh, a club in Downhill in Sunderland, the toughest club in the northeast of England, where they used to do strip shows on a Sunday morning. Some folk have no respect for the Sabbath, says Ian. I mean, that was a long time ago. <laughs> strip shows on a Sunday morning in working men's clubs. Um, they oh, definitely didn't still do that kind of thing about 15 Sunday years ago. morning. Oh, my God. Well, it's Sunday, it's, it's Sunday lunchtime, kind of like 12. Yeah. Maybe half 11. Because it's traditional for the fellas that go to the working men's club while the women are making the Sunday dinner. All right, let's get up the club, see a bit of tits and fanny. Have a look at some tits. Wipe up an appetite. Nothing like some an appetite for your Sunday dinner more than a pair of tits. You get, you get dressed smartly yeah. in what you call your Sunday best and you go up the working men's club and watch the stripper and then go back for your uh, your roast lamb mm. afterwards. I'm, I'm sure it's not I, I remember anymore. hearing a story that my aunt used to pack sandwiches for my uncle and he because he, he'd go to a pub every lunchtime for his job. He'd go to the same pub every day and there was a lunchtime stripper for the men. And mm. she, and apparently my aunt knew that this is how he spent his lunchtime and she would pack him a sandwich. And I just had this right. image of, she was fine with it, um, and I just had this image of him going to sitting whilst this woman stood up on the table taking her clothes off. And my <laughs> uncle just like very calmly, methodically, getting a Tupperware box out of his briefcase, <laughs> getting a sandwich out, looking in it. Oh, tuna. That's nice. Tuna mayonnaise. Yeah. And just calmly eating this yeah. sandwich made by his wife whilst the stranger yeah. showed her, showed <laughs> Shows him her tits. It's <laughs> peculiar the way that life used to work, isn't it? I remember, yeah. As I say, I'm sure that that's not really a thing in the working men's clubs anymore. No. Of course it is. <laughs> um, so they were at the club, uh, the Downhill Club in Sunderland. And um, oh, this, that's another comedian I told them that. The, this was honestly the hardest club to win over in England, the Downhill Club in Sunderland. It was notorious for it. If you got past 12 minutes, you were lucky. It was full of shipbuilders from Sunderland. Hmm. They used to read their newspapers while you were on. Oh, no. <laughs> or, or maybe, you know, eat the sandwiches. Are the Sunderland Chuck people particularly hard to impress? I think it can be. I think Glasgow's notoriously the hardest. But most um, people say Glasgow crowds are the best crowds. I think if you can win them over, they are. Right. Like a kind of... Um, they're, they're quite... I mean, we've... we've plus, Play Glasgow Don't go up there and people. suggest standing up singing the national anthem, for example, because they won't like no, that. No, don't, we, don't, we don't play that out more, the hard way. Don't play any more than five seconds of "God Save the Queen." Otherwise, yeah, you're you going to get a glass in your head, pints thrown at you. Um, there was a story here about Millview Club in Sunderland. I've played Millview Club in Sunderland. Have you? I did. I went to a Sunderland uh, football talking. Oh yeah, with uh, David Priest. Oh yeah the writer and former Sunderland goalkeeper. Yeah, and isn't and he a co- is Gar- he the goalkeeper coach now at Sunderland? He was. He was let go in the summer. Ah. So he's no longer there. I don't know any of the details about it. I haven't spoke to him about it. I don't know what happened. Oh, no, because I saw him celebrating on the pitch at play a final. I, you know, I do know David a little bit. I was very happy for him. Yeah. 
so he was doing a, um, a talking thing. Gary Bennett, who of course is my nemesis. Yeah. Oh dear. Was um, he there? <gasps> he was there. Oh no. He had to leave early. Oh thank he, God. He got there before late he had a chance to have a set two with you. Yeah, it had started late and he had another engagement or something, so it had to leave and they needed someone else to go up on stage and talk about Sullen for a bit. Oh, and yeah. I got coaxed to doing it. Yeah. It was fun. So that's the um that was the Millview Club. Uh, so Christmas Eve we went to the Millview in Sunland and the booker wouldn't give us the money because he needed it himself to buy presents. This guy was an ex policeman and he threatened to chuck me out on the on my arse. So Jeanette said, Let's go. The next day I returned and got my money while Jeanette was sitting outside the car. Suddenly she saw me running up Sunderland beachfront being chased by this huge bloody ex-cop. We were really depressed and skint for Christmas. But then, a year later, they booked us again. By this point, we built up a good following and we were becoming a big name on the scene. But there was no way we were going back after the appalling way they treated us, but I t- we told them we'd do it. They waited until 7.30 when the club was full. And uh, Jeanette says, I phoned this big idiot and said, It's Jeanette Cranky here! Oh, hello, Bonnie Lass, are you lost? He said cheerfully. Oh, no, I said. We know exactly where the club is. And frankly, you can shove it right up your ass." <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Very good. Oh, there's some stuff about Roger DeCoursey and Duncan Norvell. Well, great. Bring it on. Uh, Roger and Duncan didn't get on very well, as Roger will be mourning at everyone, including us. If you're not familiar with who Roger DeCoursey is... You might remember Nookie Bear. That was, yeah, that was his mate. Who was his mate with the... Um, was cross-eyed, wasn't it? Nookie Bear. Oh, I don't know about that. I just thought of him as just some bear. It's just a bear. I'm sure its eyes used to move around. Uh, Roger will be mourning at everyone. He said there were too many children in the audience because of us and it made him harder to control. Is Nookie Bear not a kid's act? Yeah, fuck's sake. Is it not predominantly a fucking kid's act? And he's complaining because there's too many kids in the fucking audience. They're the ones paying your wages, cunt. They're the ones keeping Lucky Bear in fucking nappies and biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> One night after a particularly poor performance, I was walking down a corridor backstage when I saw Roger getting hold of his puppet, Nucky Bear. He booted the bear as hard as he could against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> you stupid cunt. <laughs> <laughs> and then said to the crumpled heap of a puppet, you'd think one of us could get a bloody laugh out there. <laughs> <laughs> He's playing with the bear. <sighs> uh, but uh, yeah, him and Duncan, Duncan Norvell didn't get on. One night, Duncan missed his call to go on stage, which meant Roger had to go on first, even though he was above Duncan on the bill. Norvell came on afterwards, which is simply not done. By rights, according to theatre etiquette, Duncan shouldn't have come on stage at all that night. It's a little bit like podcast etiquette. Mm. as upheld by the podcast elders yeah. that we've fallen foul of. Um, at the finale, we all stepped forward with the whole cast, took our bow, and as the curtain went down, Roger punched Duncan right in the face. But they both had to quickly compose themselves as the curtain went straight back up again for the encore. Jalapeño. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Jalapeño. I've got to say I'm not feeling this deep dive. Why not? I don't know. There's not much to work with. It's one of those books that's sort of funny in itself. Yeah. So when people say, why don't you deep dive like with Nail and I, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, just a really funny show. And you sort of think, yeah, but this this is self-evidently funny. How can we embellish this? This is just great. Yeah. Oh, hang on. Having said that, I've just turned at random onto a page that says uh, that the first two names I saw were Michael Barrymore and Max Bygrave. So at random, I'm going to read it out. Let's have it. Whenever we spent time in Australia, there'd always be a chance of bumping into showbiz pals from back home. We'd met Michael Barrymore on a couple of occasions over the years. The first was around 1986 in Max Bygrave's house in Bournemouth, when Michael was still with his missus, Carol. What a fucking day that would have been in 1986. <laughs> Max Bygraves, Michael Barrymore. Barrymore was just arriving at his pomp. Yeah, and Max Bygraves had a rig down in Bournemouth, right? And yeah. and Barrymore's still in a heterosexual marriage. And who's yeah. and Max Bygraves goes, oh, come in, Michael. Um, would you like anything to drink? Would your lady wife like anything? Great. Well, it's no problem at all. Sit down. Ding dong. What? Who's that? You're all white? <laughs> Who's that at the door? Oh, didn't I tell you? I've also invited the crankies over. You get the door for me, Michael. Do the funny walk as you go along there. All right, I will. Uh, all right. Michael is not a man you get to know. Oh, but Michael is not a man you get to know. I reckon if we'd met Michael a hundred oh. times, we wouldn't have got to know him any better. He was a very strange guy. And I got the impression that he never truly felt at home with the pros. Maybe it was something to do with the gay secret he was hiding. Mm, don't, mm. don't think that's fair, but... Um, I don't, was this just shy? Yeah, exactly. What's it got to do with him being gay? I don't know what it was, but he was always a very edgy character. So imagine our surprise when we were on tour for, uh, on our four-month sabbatical at our holiday home in Australia. <laughs> Fucking hell. Fucking hell, they got a holiday over in Australia in 2003. <laughs> and we saw Barrymore advertised to play our local venue, the Twin Towers Club. It's a smashing club and has some great acts on. A few weeks before Barry, before Barrymore, we've been to see the new Seekers and Petula Clark, who really packed them in and put on fantastic shows. So when Barrymore turned up, we went along more out of curiosity than anything else. Imagine if you're Barrymore and you're in Australia. <laughs> And you think, I'm just going to make a few quid and play this club in Australia. And then you're in there, and you look in the audience, you think, hang on, who's that I can see? It's the fucking Crankies. And there's Jeanette dressed up as the schoolboy for it. I'd love it if the Crankies turned up at one of our shows, mate. Oh, It'd be yeah. wonderful, wouldn't it? Uh, when Baron turned up, we went to see him. Sure enough, when we turned up, Barrymore was playing in front of a half-full auditorium. As a couple of pros sitting in the audience, it quickly became apparent he hadn't done his homework. A few local gags always go down well, or a few jokes about the area's local neighbours. It's an old trick. 
but it's something that will instantly endear you to a new audience. Well, we do something oh, a bit that's like we that. We don't do, is it? No, what we, we, we do is start doing that. We make up mean. We play on mean, unimaginative stereotypes to do with that area. That's what we tend to do. Um, right. Yeah, we will do that. Uh, like so, in Brighton, we'll straight away go out and say, "Well, you're all kind of weirdo woke." Corbinites Vegans. who aren't going to like yeah. our robust kind of um, brand of irony. Earthy. <laughs> the fuck it and is. then in Liverpool, obviously, we've been quite mean. And uh, I don't know. Anyway, but we're not pros. We're learning this shit. That's why it's good to deep dive a book like this. There's a couple of pros. Yeah. So it, they're saying it was going. Basically, they hate Barrymore, but they won't come out and say it in the book. They're just saying, so far, in the space of one page, they're saying he was weird. He didn't feel like any, he didn't feel comfortable with pros like us. And we went to see him in Australia and he could only half sell out a, a venue well, and, the, and his show was shit. That's the thing. That's the, the key underlying message is there. Mm. He can only sell out half full show in Australia. And we know because we went yeah. and saw it for ourselves. Secondly, and, we have a holiday home in Australia because yeah, we are better than him. Because we're more successful. And we were at his show and we say this. Not as peers, but just as pros. We were in the audience that night, and his show went down like a shit fucking sandwich. And here's why. Most of his gags seemed to be about his ex-wife. It was stuff like, I was married twice. The first wife died. The second one just won't die. After that one, a woman in the audience started to cough, and he said, don't you croak on me as well. But by this time, the crowd were getting embarrassed. Oh, no. I actually don't believe that because say what you like about Barrymore, I can't, I I can't imagine him creating an. I mean, unless he'd really like something had happened to him by this stage, two thousand three, which is not is he's past his pomp. But oh, is like, that when it was two thousand and three? They said oh, it was right, two thousand and three. Okay. They met him in nineteen eighty six at Bygraves House. That was just yeah. before he moved into Imperial Phase. I would yeah. say early to mid nineties was Imperial Phase Barrymore. So by 2003, think, well, it was past um, his imperial phase, but still. Um, I got the, I just got the impression that Barrymore needed his female dancers and an orchestra for his act, <clears throat> like he'd had on TV. Subtext, he, he didn't have the talent to stand up there on his own like we do. He yeah. needed all the accoutrements of big budget television shows. Well, 2001 was the, uh, the the year when it all went wrong for Barry Moore. Right, so this is... So he, 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 they might have taken away some of his vim. Because, you know, when you do see clips of his live show from when he was in his pomp, what he does is that he is able to whip the audience up into a frenzied state just by mm. existing and walking around, right, and saying, mm. all white. Right, that was enough. So yeah. I think they've been a bit harsh. But this is what they go on to say. It goes, instead, it was just him on stage trying to interact with an audience that he didn't know and who didn't know him. He would do that thing he used to do at the start of a TV show, taking the piss out of the crowd. But that fell flat too. Instead, he just rambled around on stage for two hours with no structure to his show whatsoever. Well, that bit does sound familiar to us. <laughs> but I would say that what they do, if I ever write uh, a memoir about our career as podcasters. I really yeah. hope that we don't devote this amount of space to just slagging off other podcasts. 
<laughs> I'd hope that we'd have enough material about our own experiences yeah. to not go, right, yeah. Andy, we're struggling here. Let's turn on no such thing as a fish. Give us yeah. 2,000 words. Listen to an episode and then just do 2,000 words absolutely eviscerating it. Well, maybe that will be what happens. I don't know. Hard to say. Now, Billy Connolly is the master of looking like he has no structure to his shows, but believe me, even a genius like Connolly knows exactly where he's going with his act. He may digress at certain points, but he'll know what he's starting and finishing with. Barrymore was just clueless. (gasps) Fucking Fucking hell. hell. They are not holding back here. He announced at the start of the show that he had a cold and he probably did it as it was turning into the Australian winter at the time. But that's no excuse. Announcing that at the start of the show is like giving yourself a get-out clause. It's basically saying, if I'm crap, it's not my fault. But he's supposed to be a professional. Pros work through colds. You have to, or you don't get paid. Jeanette and I have never told an audience if we were feeling under par. They don't want to know or even care. They paid their money for a night out. They couldn't give a stuff if you're stuffed. Go and feel sorry for yourself after the show, but not in the middle of it. Oh, there's hell. definitely there's definitely previous beef with Barrymore and what what's this is 2003 when this happened yeah book came out 2004 so they're just kicking him when he's down they fucking hate him and they're presuming him. that he's down for good to be fair at the end when he came off stage he got a decent round of applause but the Aussies are always very accommodated like that it was afterwards in the corridors outside the auditorium that I noticed the difference it was completely silent there was no buzz whatsoever Everything just felt flat. <laughs> Before the show, we had the stage manager put a note under Barrymore's dressing room door. <laughs> Good luck, cunt. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck, cunt. We'll be watching the yeah, crackies. I've got a frozen tonight. Best of luck. All the best, cunt. Yours, as ever, the crankies. <laughs> no Does he mention whether they met up afterwards or yeah. not? Before this, yeah. Um, saying that we were in the audience in row such and such. Now, any oh, pro... I told him where? Now, any pro in the world, especially one that you've met before, will invite you in for drinks or a cuppa afterwards. But <laughs> we heard nothing. Oh, this, <laughs> is, uh, this is what it's all about. Yeah, right? that's he what it is. He simply didn't want to know, which is unheard of. Oh, So, basically, hell. he slighted them at a fucking yeah. show in Australia, and this is their revenge. Maybe he didn't remember us. Well, I think they ju- they must be know that they're being ironed there. I mean, so what you like about the crankies, there's no way you wouldn't remember the crankies. The crankies. Even, even no, and the crankies, you say, no, I don't recall them. You know, um, <laughs> Scottish, one's a bloke, the other one's his wife, she's very short and pretends to be a schoolboy. <clears throat> No, no, you're going to have to be a bit more detailed. I mean, that could be anyone. I've met loads of people that would fit that description. <laughs> Even a completely adult 2003 Barrymore. He's going to remember, remember the, the crankies. crankies. Anyone would remember the crankies. Um, maybe he didn't remember us. Maybe he didn't like us. But I suspect maybe he knew he'd been crap and just didn't want to face us. Like I said, he was never comfortable in the company of other pros. A woman from the audience summed up everything when she said to me after the show, isn't it sad to see him like that? I think that's the worst thing someone could say. (laughs) If people leaving our shows thought that of us, we'd stop on the spot. But do you know, she was right. It was sad. 
oh this you just the knife oh, is being twisted brutal. but then they're twisting it back again it's being twisted back and forth mate being twisted around like a fucking crank handle i read God. in the british papers that barry moore said he was going to immig- immigrate down under probably to <laughs> new zealand well i don't know how well he did in new zealand but i understand his tv show has been shown there so he was probably more popular but if i was him and this is the last line of the chapter but if i was him i'd give australia a miss <laughs> wow <laughs> fucking hell and it's kind of like, you know, we have a holiday home in Australia. We understand Australia. It's our second home, you know. Those These are people, our people understand us and we understand them. We have assimilated. Yeah. Barrymore, not a chance. The man was washed up and tragic and we were there to see it. And we took no joy in seeing it, but we are not going to lie. It was a car crash. And he probably thinks he got away with it because it was the other side of the world, but no, we're here to report the findings of that night and to tell the rest of the UK what we actually saw. Have we got time well, for one more for quick it. bit? Because I really like the start of the following chapter, Air Go Today, on. Gone Tomorrow. This is Ian. He says, after we did again. There's so much bitterness in this book. that That's what you this want is to where, do. This is where, what we need to mine, I think, yeah, is this I've section. Gone, yeah. I, I've, died, I've gone deeper into the book where they become bitter. So what happens is, at the beginning, they're full of hopes and dreams, right? Then in the middle, they fucking made it. It's amazing. They're massive. The crankies are all that anyone wants to talk about. When you get to the end, the bitterness is setting, and that's where there's good material. It says, after we didn't get an invite to this BBC Christmas party in 1988... <laughs> pure never a more partridge word sentence written anywhere outside of an actual episode of Alan Partridge I decided to take the bull by the horns and phoned up Harry King at Border TV whom we'd done the joke machine with (laughs) that's it Border TV that's it and we had our invite to the BBC Christmas party or maybe it's been lost what's that you've spoken (laughs) to other pros and they've all had this right that's it (laughs) I didn't want to do this, but I'm calling Harry King at Border TV. We're going, we're going bigger. We're going to Carlisle. I'm going straight to the top. (laughs) Right. He was immediately interested. So Jeanette and I went up there and negotiated the contract ourselves and created KTV. This time we didn't have a studio audience, which meant we could just work to camera. And also, as we do in the theatre, we could ad lib. We filmed it in the borders up in Dumfries and Galloway and had a great time as it seemed like the pressure was suddenly off us and we could relax and do what we wanted. We never heard from the BBC again. Interesting. That so they, they didn't were have a studio still audience. Able. They just called up this production company yeah. and they said, we're sick of the BBC. They haven't invited us to their Christmas party. Yeah. Let's make a show for Borders TV. And... They didn't have a studio audience. It makes it sound as if it was just kind of an address to the nation. Down yeah. the camera. <laughs> yeah, but it's cheaper to make it that way. Like, if you look at, like, a show like Harry Hill's TV Burr, one of the great shows of all time, yeah. if it, it's just him sat in a white studio doing jokes to camera, but you play in a studio at the sound of an audience, Yeah, easy, isn't it? And you can do loads of takes then as well. Whereas if your studio audience there, it gets a bit awkward, I think. I guess so. Yes, that's why we do our podcast without a studio audience, isn't it? Yeah, it's one but of the reasons. Sometimes Nelson and Oscar watch us with a confused and, and pitiful yeah. look on their face. 
Nelson's been at the glass of the Vita. Nelson's been venturing, venturing into the Vita Modular on a much more regular basis. He's got much more. All right, okay. To begin with, he was terrified of it. Like, yeah. genuinely, he was so scared. And <clears throat> he bet. would he would not come in. And now he actually comes up sometimes. He was doing it earlier, but I didn't mention it. He comes up and he looks at me through the glass and he puts his little paw up like, wrap me in, wrap me in. Oh, nice. Um, and then he just looks at me like, what are you doing with your life, Dad? Yeah. You know. Why did you build this massive construction to house you, your... You could have been your, so much more, but look at you. You were, you were you were used to record these in the corner of your bedroom, which seemed appropriate, but now you've now, built this now monstrosity. This, this, is, yeah. this is grotesque. He gives me a look as if to say, Dad, this is a grotesquery. A grotesque folly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, you might have heard Oscar earlier on in this uh, episode because I had to cut it short or, or, or duck away to answer the door. So Oscar was kicking off in the background. But it's always nice to have a bit of that. Um, nice to have a bit of the audience interaction, we'll, even if we'll it's just it a there. domestic we'll, we'll, pet. We'll do some more mining into the latter years of the Crankies because I think that's where all the fun is Yeah, in this one. Um, is there an index in this book? No, oh, there's not an index. No. It's quite lazy. Uh, if there was an index, our lives would be much easier because straight away I'd be looking at E for Edmonds and so forth. There's an epilogue, which is nine pages long. Is it all no, about Michael Barrymore and what a cunt well, he it's is? Kind of, <laughs> it, 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 it's like summing everything up. I think that's probably nine episodes, nine pages. But we'll be back with more from the Crankies next week. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.